All right, and we are live. Happy, happy Monday, beautiful Monday. It's uh, kind of like cloudy over here, live all the way from the Washington DC area. Oh, I'm from Reston, Virginia. So right outside of DC area, Mille Duchamp. This is Hardship, the now of leadership and us. And of course I have my fantabulous co-host, Annalisa Ponsky, who is a political scientist and an educator. How are you? I'm a little tired. Um, it's been raining here, and so that's really just made me kind of tired. Like your environment does impact. So really right. just tired today. Um, technology is not working. It's super annoying. So just trying to make it through. <laughs> right. Well, I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy everyone is here. I know it has been what such a hard time. It's week week nine for some under lockdown so um, i'm grateful that all of you are here listening to this or you can replay this on itunes but <laughs> this is another great episode of hardship the now of leadership and is where we explore various facets of what leadership and culture must be and become now in order to create a sustainable evolving society that focuses on diversity acceptance and the heart remember leadership culture and people all these three things it needs to be embraced from a holistic perspective that's what leadership is leadership is not just about barking orders or saying i know i've got 25 experience years of experience like cut that bullshit out let's rethink what leadership and culture is and today we have (laughs) a great great topic i called it uh, I created a banner, so I do not know if people saw the banner, but it's check your privilege, ethical decision making. And I'm really excited to talk about this today, deep dive with you, Annalie. And because both of us have worked together for like 10 years on and off, right? And different positions of leadership and different positions, even in community base or even like long distance phase and decision making comes up in different facets of our life every day right at every hour of our day like what time should I wake up today what should I drink today what should I eat should I brush my teeth now or should I wait to decide to brush my teeth like in the afternoon right whether to procrastinate or to take action those are all decision making whether to speak up or not to speak up, whether to stand up for someone else or not to stand up for someone else or to hurt someone else. Those are all decisions that we are making every single day, every single second of of our lives, right? Whether to impact someone else or whether to, to oppress someone else. Those are all decisions that we consciously make that just does not pertain to us, but pertains to someone else. It's always a dominant effect when we make decisions for ourselves and for others. But we're going to be talking about ethical. Let's add another layer, ethical decision making. And can you imagine, you know, like the struggles that would be if we just made decisions from a very selfish perspective or from a perspective where I only want to make decisions to help someone else. So that's the topic that we're going to be embarking on for 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how intense so what comes to your mind let's talk about ethical first and i know you're really passionate about 
in the decision making and policies from a political science perspective and from education perspective because you are immersed in both of those two realms and you're going to be exploring from those two realms and i'm going to be exploring it from a very culture perspective and from a global perspective so hold on to your seats and your ears people so let's start on lee what does ethical mean to you um i think it's um there's like the ought you know things that we ought to do um uh, i think that's really what it is it's not really feelings based i feel mm -hmm. like it's trying to think about things rationally just thinking about the consequences so mm. that's you know kind of what goes into it when it's decision making it's how do you think others should act towards you how do you think you should act towards others and um so i think it's just more of a social thing um it might be different than what are like the norms it might be different from the values and the laws but it's about you know just really thinking and how people should behave Right. You bring up a really important point, how people should really behave. Well, ethical to me means like making those decisions that really impact someone else in a, in a positive manner. It can be in a family setting, in a home setting. It can be in a school setting. It can be in a workplace setting, right? If you are a governor or a mayor or a politician, right, you need to make decisions or like make those ethical decisions that really benefit the people and not benefit yourself or a selected group of people where it becomes exclusive, right? Impacting a thing, a situation, a person or group of people or yourself that where you see the returns are based on positivity. How is it going to improve their lives? How is it going to improve their situation? How is it going to improve their mental wellness? So those are all ethical decision making where it impacts someone else in a positive way in a very extended line so i love that you said behavior <laughs> yeah because i think it's too i think we've seen this all throughout history too and especially right. when like people will talk about um just about like really civil rights issues in general so they'll say like do you remember that and like nazi germany like all of these laws that are like you know anti-semitic or you know stripping like the roma of rights or stripping you know jehovah's witnesses of rights communists mm. they went after everyone right but um those laws all of that is legal so like don't look to like the law as like your first indication of what to do right like it has to come from within so not just saying that like we should break laws because they don't represent but i think just saying like acknowledging that law can be ethically corrupt it cannot you know, show what is like the best for everyone. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, slavery was legal here. Jim Crow was legal. So like, these are all very clear things that we had to move on from, right? Mm -hmm. um, norms, you know, the norms that can make laws are not always right. So it's always making sure that we're moving forward, you know? Right, yeah. Decision-making is all about moving forward. I love that you highlighted that. It is about moving forward right and i feel like sometimes when we are in place of powers right um especially when we are leaders you know not to be leaders or followers whether you are even being a follower i feel like you are still a leader right and some may argue but let's bring on the argument on another live session so we can have that discussion but followers are leaders and leaders are followers as well and i feel that 
when you're making a decision, it's it's you do have privilege. Privilege is about when when you already have that decision making power, it becomes a privilege to you, especially when you are in a position of power to change someone else's situation or change someone else's trajectory at the workplace or even education system, right? How many times do we see uh, people who are leaders in the education system create or make decisions to prevent students from getting scholarships or prevent resources from uh, you know reaching students, right? And we spoke about this a few weeks ago, you highlighted a very important point where, especially now during the pandemic, the lockdown, students, who do not have access to internet, how are they going to be doing online schooling, right? That's That ties in with decision-making too. As leaders, how are we making decisions where when we say, okay, it's homeschooling or online schooling, but resources are not available to everyone? What are your thoughts on that? Right, and it's... um. It's what we always have to do, right? It's part of what happens with ethical decision-making. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we can think about all the other things, but we have to think, do we want something that does the most good for everyone? Um, mm-hmm. Do we want to make sure that everyone has, like, the most um, rights and, like, dignity? Do we want justice? Um, do we believe that, like, giving more people access to technology, does that, you know, give, is that, like, you know, common good or is that, going to make mm-hmm. our society better or mm-hmm. should we always just be acting you know <laughs> correctly or like right making the best thing so I think it's about like what are we thinking about when we make these decisions like we're talking about right. like access to technology like when people made this software when people you know a couple weeks ago when we had the gentleman who worked with like Google Classroom like mm-hmm. are those decision makers in Google are they thinking about this and this is right that like policymakers have to think about is just are you thinking about what are the unintended consequences of this so if you go mm-hmm. and you put technology in school districts you know in a bunch of school districts in california which are you know fairly well off okay so what is the unintended consequence of this mm-hmm. okay so we know it might potentially work in like these wealthier school districts but then the flip side is okay so what happens in like low-income districts right. um, are they right. behind the curve um like how do we remedy the fact that they're behind mm-hmm. the technology and information you know there's becoming the increasing gap so it's about are those even being talked about is the information gap being talked about in like this particular instance um mm-hmm. are we talking about like widening inequality is i mean these are real consequences so right. i think it's not just about you know saying like yes, we're doing this, we're doing this, but it's about those really unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it's a very good point that you brought up about unintended consequences. Not all intentions are right, right? And I always go back into, in order to make, your intention might be right, but when you're not exploring the wider lens like you mentioned about, are you acknowledging all those gaps? Right? Are you acknowledging all those curves, the inequity curves, world making decisions? Right? Uh, it goes back into how, as a leader and as a follower, don't only think, I want all listeners and viewers to, to really grasp this. <clears throat> not only, not leaders only get to make decisions, right? Even as a follower, you have the power to stand up and a responsibility to stand up and say, no, this is not working. So even as a follower, you 
become a leader by challenging the decisions, right, which does not seem ethical. So, but I want to highlight all these points. Whilst making decisions, whilst making uh, like intentions, right, when you're creating something that impacts the community, it happens in workplaces, in policies, in the nation, community, whatever, schools, even at homes, right? Whilst making decisions, you have to constantly combat your own unconscious bias, your conscious bias, your confirmation bias, your social exchange bias, your negative bias, your egocentrism, your ethnocentrism. Even diversity, you need to understand what does this paradigm look like when I'm making a decision or when I'm creating a solution? Am I creating a solution for an exclusive group or am I creating a solution for everyone? Even if that solution does not look immediately like, like as though it's solving everyone's problem, but you need to have the mindset that, okay, this is the solution, it's gonna help someone like a, a small rate here for now. How can I how can I challenge myself and move that and move that in, in a wider radius? Okay, now I'm going to help students and combat this and widen this solution as to how is it helping districts, right, with lower income or students who do not have access or resources like internet or Chromebooks, right? How can I solve that problem? And then extend your radius even more, all right? So I have already solved this problem in my community, in my nation. How can I tap it into other countries, like third world countries where education is not even valid over there? So it's all about really fighting and challenging our own biases, like unconscious bias, conscious bias, confirmation bias, social exchange bias, negative bias, egocentrism. So I want to get into egocentrism because that is directly correlated with our de decision-making as well. And then expand into that. It does not mean that if you are a leader and you have got the power to make a decision, you have to get it right immediately. No, you can always innovate, rethink, right? Recalculate. That's what measurements. I come from an engineering background, right? So it's all about science of experiments, like experiment one failed. Okay, let's look at why it failed. And let's look at why it worked. And then go to experiment two. But let's talk about egocentrism and then I want to talk about confirmation bias as well. Why is checking out own egocentrism is so important when making decisions that impacts the greater people like greater care? Um, I think it's just we have to like look at it right so we have to be honest kind of with ourselves kind of like we talked about before um, because if we're you know, really thinking about like these type of things, like how can we really, you know, necessarily always move forward? How can we, you know, if I'm so focused on like what I think is right and like what I think is good and like, or rather like focused on like, you know, the bias that like I have and like clouding my decision-making, it's mm -hmm. how can you, you know, I need, you know, to be cognizant of what other people are going through. Um, I need to look at, other alternatives in order to make like the most ethical decision, right? So mm -hmm. I have to be able to not only think of like the considerations that I'm making, I have to be able to listen to other people's considerations. Exactly. Um, other people may bring different perspectives and points of view and it's essential for me to listen to them, right? I need mm -hmm. to consider what they're saying. Um, 
you can't make the most ethical decision if I'm only focused on like what I need and like what other, because really ethical decision-making is literally considering, considering others. Um, it's right. considering what they're going through, what the consequences are. Um, so to only consider, you know, myself and like to think about my own needs, it's, <laughs> it seems like it's right. Just the exact mm -hmm. opposite of what ethical decision-making is. Um, you yeah. have to think about others. You have to have like a heightened sensitivity towards what they're going through. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. We have a comment from one of our viewers, Hats and Boots 1978. Never ask how can I help without also asking who might this hurt and how can I include them? This is such an imperative factor, right? When making decisions when you are leading or even when you're following in order to lead, right? Don't don't ask how can I help. Um, it comes from a very egocentric perspective. It comes from a very superficial perspective. I, just based on a culture perspective, right? Because like, I'm going to use a, an example. Like my mom is a stroke patient, right? She's been paralyzed for 20 years now. And when she first got paralyzed, it's like so many people came forward like, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? Without asking, right? Without asking like, how can I include people who are taking care of my mom, right? How can I include them in the decision-making rather than just people were so quick to say, okay, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should be doing. Like going, asking for resources, applying for programs to assist like financially without even understanding like how it's going to affect my mom or how it's going to affect me and my sister who were the primary caregivers. And then when we take it into the workplace, right? Like I've been in the corporate tenure, I've been in the education field. I've worked in nonprofits as well people are so quick to like coming in and say, how can I help and bringing their own solution without even understanding the situation, without even understanding who are the people involved, how is it gonna impact them from a very extended lens? So I feel that when we make decisions, usually when we don't understand the greater intention, the greater um, needs of other people, we are approaching from a very egocentric perspective as, as yes, hello. <laughs> operating from a pers perspective of you know this is what I know I have got it right so we need to eliminate egocentrism from decision making are you still there on like all right we are having some technical difficulties seems like but we will continue on with the chat so I'm going to move on to the confirmation bias confirmation bias all right when she's back i'm going to bring her on again Amelie is having some technical difficulties but never mind so we're going to be talking about confirmation bias confirmation bias all right she's back on again all right you're back on <laughs> so hello. we're talking about confirmation i can you hear us hello all right we we are live and we're experiencing technical difficulties, but never mind. She'll be back again. So confirmation bias is something that we, you know, when we look for situations, right? The stereotypes that we are exposed to, the stereotypes that we're exposed to of certain people or certain situation or group of people that we are exposed to on the telly or media or from our experiences, what we have seen during our neighborhood, like in the playground whilst we're growing up, all that we have seen at the workplace right when it re-happens again 
another situation happens again, let's say we see a group of people behaving a certain way and we see another group of people behaving the certain way again and we we confirm our own biases by saying, yes, that group of people, they will say this thing again. Annalie is back again. Can you hear us? Yeah, I yeah, I, you went totally blank, so I couldn't hear anything. Um, so I think, yeah, really just like add on to your bias. Like it's just, just ethical decision-making isn't just, you know, is you know, are we going to eat peanut butter? Or are we going to eat grilled cheese sandwiches, right? Like we're having real decisions that impact people long-term. It's beyond like, you know, a month, right? We're looking at like, what are the consequences decades from now or like, mm-hmm. I don't know, eternity. So I think it's just like, how can we have like these bias and how can we not ask that question from like the listener, like, what is the harm? What is the harm? We need to ask like that question, right? Of the unintended consequences, because ethical decision-making isn't, it's never an easy decision, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so how can we make a good ethical decision if we don't consider like the perspectives of others? Um, if we don't think about what other people have gone through, if they don't tell us like their own experiences, it's just like, okay, so what is the best decision that's going to be made? So right. I think it's just really important to kind of check our own privileges because other people have way different experiences. They've experienced harm that may potentially other, like others of us haven't. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's really important. Right. So let's bring on this comment from Hatton. It's a great nonprofit will always put over decision with the question, who is not here? That should be. That's such a fantastic, fantastic highlight. Who is not here that should be, right? This is something that as leaders, we should consciously be practicing, right? A lot of the times uh, in corporate, in corporations, right? In companies or in 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 businesses where you, we always see the dominant culture. And I say dominant culture is very singular. The less representative are not included, right? Especially whilst making decisions pertaining to diversity or hiring right or inclusion or anything that that impacts people like pocs right or the minorities let it be you know it could be veterans or disabled or people the older generation right or the baby boomers in a company like people make decisions from their singular lens without including them so it's such an important question to ask right who is not here that should be, and I absolutely love that question. Thank you for pointing that at Hats and Boots 1978. Yeah, and I think that we, yeah, I think really what the, we really need to look at goes across all, it's not just like the corporate setting. I worked with a nonprofit as well. And if you look at the big decision makers, um, it wasn't people who are like regular people. Um, I remember looking at the table and being like, this table is not really diverse at all with like the exception of like, you know, a few people, um, right. by and large, the table is mostly like white men who are educated. So right. you look at like, you're making decisions for that are representative of like an entire neighborhood, the particular one that I worked with. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, how representative are these decisions? Right? Like, right. Or if you know, people don't live, they live outside of like the neighborhood. It's like, okay, so are the best decisions being made here? We don't necessarily know. So I think and I can tell you just like seeing it in practice, like the practice isn't, you know, um, a lot of the times it's not asking those questions and it's making sure like, 
how do we start, you know, do we put it in like curriculums? Do we put it in like, um, like, like, do we put it in the curriculum? Do we put it in, I don't know, like, how do we start moving forward to make sure that our decision making mm-hmm. is more ethical? Do we use it through school? If people don't use it through school, how do we get it to them as well? So I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, again, it's just like, are we making the best decisions? Um, right. You know, after a while, do we start with the best intentions? Or, and then do we move into like it being about our ego and like the accolades and then, you know, the mm-hmm. prestige that we get, you know, it does it go through being noticed? You know, I think that sometimes we can start off really with like good decisions and like making sure that we want the best for everyone. But how do we make sure we don't fall down into like, an egocentric, like eccentric way to like continue. Um, right. Like what if right. our motivations change? How do we check that? Right. And I call it the privilege bias because when you are operating from a privileged stance, it just becomes like, it ties in with the egocentrism. It ties in with, uh, she's gone, but she'll be back. It ties in with a very singular lens that you're not able to understand other people. And I have like spoken to so many people who, who say that, you know, they are white male or white female and and let's bring it on. As I was saying, so like the the privileged bodies, right? I have worked or I have spoken with a lot of white male and white female where they are wanting to understand that, you know, that, that struggles that other people go through who do not look like them, sound like them, or who do not have the same privilege as them. And one of the first questions I ask them is that, how are you immersing yourself, right? Immersion is so different from experiencing, right? When when you can experience it in your position and just say, oh, I've experienced it. But how are you experiencing it when you are truly immersing yourself and understanding and experiencing in that way? Or are you experiencing in such a way that you're just sitting here and just like looking at things from your lens and not, wanting to speak with those people who look different than you or who look sound who sound different than you right so when i speak with these people one of the biggest things i ask them is that how have you immersed yourself and they say oh i sit on a board on a board position but when you're sitting on a board position that's a privilege itself right why not volunteer being a volunteer is so different than sitting on a board position board positions you get paid that's a privilege where you make decisions without even understanding, without even volunteering, without even immersing yourself and mingling around with people. Volunteers are first point of contact. I've volunteered with a lot of nonprofit organizations. I've volunteered with minority groups where I am in the forefront, speaking with people and also trying to understand what are their struggles, right? How like it could be a language barrier right language barrier i'm not saying that they can't speak english because it's just english can be of different dialects english can be of different accents and when people immediately detect that accent or different dialect they say oh you're not a native english speaker that itself is a privilege your privilege of making that decision for someone else when you're not willing to understand so those are the new ones really invisible things that needs to come on board Right. I, I, I absolutely understand, you know, there are so many Caucasian men and female wanting to immerse and truly understand what diversity is, but get off of the bloody board membership and really volunteer. Go volunteer in communities, be that first contact person 
where you know you go to people's houses truly understand what kind of living situation don't just see it right don't just see and say okay this is what is going on but really understand why are they living in such a manner what is lacking how is your family dynamics how many people are supporting that family because like sometimes the privilege that you have right as as a, a white male or female caucasian you you do care for your disabled parent but how how are you caring for them right is it because you have that extra help like from an adult care from a child care as opposed to immigrants or people who don't have those resources so privilege is so nuanced while making that decision right so that's why i wanted to highlight don't say i'm volunteering without without really being that first point of contact and really immersing yourself and truly understanding what diversity means what are your struggles let me hear you out and then when i have the power to make those decisions let me bring you on and not just okay i've hurt you you stay there i'll go forward like bring that person along with you represent that person and let that person represent themselves as well what are your thoughts seconds um i think it is really it's just i think yeah the immersion is you know it's i think it is like a smart and i think it's a responsible thing to do right is to acknowledge one like yeah. i think you learn a lot more about your privileges when you see what's going on in other communities um <laughs> So I think it's really important to like look at that, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I think it's just okay. So when you see like what's going on, what's happening, okay. So what are you gonna do next, right? So it's not just like having this information. Like, yes, I have privilege. Yes, like I've lived a life where yes, do I have hardships? Absolutely. But do I have, you know, literal like societal and governmental and influences that make my life harder? No. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I can say just even from my own experiences do i necessarily like you know the color of my skin do i get stop and frisk no like it, it is what it is it's the truth of what it is like the color of my right. skin may gives me totally different life experiences than like say you know black men or black women um so i think it's you know you have to be truthful with yourself and i think right. it's also so once i've harnessed once i've you know say i'm still on that board position right like that you were mm -hmm. kind of talking about earlier saying that white woman on the board Okay, so what am I doing with that position as like a white woman on the board? Okay, so if I know that I've both immersed myself and I still hold this position, okay, you know what, now it's time for me to give a voice to others. It's that mm -hmm. time for me now to like pass that mic. Um, you know, if other people, maybe if they're afraid to speak, to make sure that I'm sharing their stories and sharing like their experiences. Um, do I understand all the way? No, there's just some situations I will never fully understand, acknowledging mm -hmm. that that is just the truth and that is the reality. Um, but it's important that I give other people a voice or if they don't have a voice, I start moving it in a direction where they can. Um, I start amplifying, like, you know, there's so many people who feel, you know, like they're oppressed or that they're, you mm -hmm. know, just really going through it and it's making sure that like their cries are heard. Um, you know, it's just, there's people who are struggling and who don't know the outlets. They don't have the resources to really feel like they can make a change. And it's important that I start moving that dial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's such a great point. And like to your point, I echo that point, you know, when you do have that privilege, right, uh, as, as, as a white person, bring that other voice, right? Like past the mic and you mentioned about that. And 
this is so true even in organizations right in companies where everyone is wanting that diversity right and trying to understand people like how can we hire how can we promote within how can we uh, write a performance review right everything needs to come from a perspective like you you consciously consciously challenge your own discriminations you challenge your confirmation biases unconscious bias your conscious discrimination as well and especially your negative bias just because someone who looks someone who is black or brown or or east asian right just because they have done a mistake or they have misinterpreted what you said don't immediately go and say they don't understand english because english is not your first language because it has happened to me before i've seen it happen to so many other pocs before right where they use english language communication as the first call of attack don't use that because you have to truly understand like that isn't a singular way of communication that isn't a singular singular way of assimilation right if you truly want to be a champion or truly, uh, not a champion advocate an enabler of diversity you really need to enable those nuances right okay let me understand you let me bring your voice don't just create positions of tokenism don't just say okay we have only got x number of seats on the table right you have to create your own seat you have to prove to us change the bloody narrative right when you are in those positions where you do have this this power to make decisions ethical decisions decision making right oh i can't pronounce today decision making challenge that paradigm why must it be a table i say create a room create a new environment get rid of the bloody table create a new environment go outdoors and say this is the space we have how many people can come and join us right you are welcome to join us that's the acceptance piece that we are missing in even ethical decision making in a lot of organizations i'm going to touch on workplace because there's a culture there's a rising talk of culture right we are creating a great culture blah 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 but when you're creating a great culture you really have to decide you have to challenge yourself am i making the right decision whilst hiring right recruiters you are you included in this right recruiters hiring managers uh, talent acquisition everyone who plays a part in this you you are responsible for it too like hiring onboarding promoting performance productivity right even when we're promoting someone that's bias right that if i am in a power right in a place of power and i decide to promote someone i've seen this a lot um in in my previous years right 6 years ago i've witnessed this there was a white female who was in her 20s she was a millennial right and and she was fair more than this asian person she was slightly older this asian lady was slightly older right her demeanor was different she was not loud speaking she was not loud she was not like celebrating the boss's birthday she was not out there but she was out there in such a way that she would always speak out in meetings she would always highlight solutions for whatever processes that were and this female white person was more like curry favoring in such a way that i'm going to make friends with everyone and make my name new i'm going to be friends with them so people how they were judged was this white female was judged like oh she's more out there she's really friendly she knows everyone's name but she made the but the leadership made the the bad 
assumption that the Asian lady was not personable. She went around speaking with a lot of people, asking, what are your struggles with work? She was building that relationship. It's a different kind of relationship building, right? That itself, decision-making went wrong, but they promoted the white female based on people's biases. This is what leadership should look like, as opposed to this Asian lady who embodied a different kind of leadership. So that itself <laughs> has got flaws in decision-making, even in organizations, right? We really need to constantly challenge ourselves. And if you're not willing to see those biases, I think then you need to step down from a leadership position and become an individual contributor. A lot of people think that leadership is all about, you know, being loud and out there. It's not, it's not. And let's go to a comment uh, from our viewer. This is our fan. Hats and Boots has been following us for weeks and thank you for following us and being here with us. Always ask yourself, who's the expert on this topic instead of assuming it's you? This is a great yeah. point. Yeah, no, it really does think about when we move forward into like how to actually have like ethical decision making, right? So we first have to acknowledge what is like the issue that we're talking about. So whether it be mm -hmm. housing or, you know, technology, you know, some of the issues that we've talked about before. So we have to decide, you know, maybe moving forward with that whole education thing, like technology during this time is right. Like, what is the issue, right? So could access to technology at home like doing school at home right could that be damaging to some people could some people be left out um and it's even like sometimes asking right like you know thinking a more favorable spin but are there two goods going on or are there just two bads or um do we have to think about what is like the most efficient you know so we have to really consider like what is the issue what is the crux of what we're talking about and then I think to go off of to what like our listeners talking about, right? It's getting the facts. What are like, what is the truth here, right? What are the facts? Um, do Is there stuff that I need to research more? Do I know enough right now? Am I confident enough in my information to like make a decision? All right. right. So if I'm not, I need to keep moving forward. I need to, you know, evaluate my resources. I think that's a huge thing, right? So we don't want to just go off of somebody's like fringe blog and just keep looking and, you know, taking these as facts, right? So we want right. to find a reputable resources. Do we want to like, you know, talk to journals? Um, I, you know, even think about my own background, like it, you learn all about how do we like, okay, so it might be a journal. Okay. So like, what are critiques that we can do off the journal? Are we going to critique, you know, how they even got their data? Are we going to critique like, their analysis or their other factors or variables that they could have looked at. So we need to like look at that as well, right? It's like mm -hmm. look at the experts, but also being, you know, critical or like really evaluating what the experts are saying. Because mm -hmm. like if there's some stones that they left unturned, we need to start looking at research that didn't. Right. So right. um so yeah. we want to look like who has stakes in this? How are they impacted by the facts? What do the facts kind of say about the people? Um right. the concerns that like people might have other groups. Okay, what are your concerns? Okay, let's look at it. Let's think about it. Um, so I think that is also too, you know, going back to like who needs a seat at the table. Okay, so we need to start looking at like, have we talked to everyone who's impacted by this? Right, because mm -hmm. I even think about right now what's going on like coronavirus is 
um, which, you know, a lot of people are talking about like, okay, so it looks at, look at like really, really urban communities, right? And like, see how this impacts them. Very, right. very important to think about like the urban poor, very relevant. But then I thought about like, you know, even in my own experiences, okay, so we have people without running water in like rural parts. I think about like Native Americans, like there are some reservations that I've seen, mm-hmm. right, been to that it's like running water, you know, access to running water is not for, it's not everywhere. So we need Mm -hmm. to think about like, okay, so there might be like groups that are impacted, but there's also groups that aren't even in the narrative that we have to bring Mm -hmm. forward. And I think that's a huge part of ethical decision-making is like thinking about who else is affected, what are the facts, what information do I need to know to make the best decision? And then Mm -hmm. once you gather all of that, then it's like, okay, so now I can look at like the different actions that Mm -hmm. we can take make a decision, um, we can really analyze like the outcomes, you know, mm-hmm. kind of reach conclusions, what works, what doesn't work. So I think it's, you know, we can probably talk more about evaluating, but I think right. right now for like the point of discussion is like, what do we, you know, who are the people, who are people that we need to consider? Um, right. Different right. perspectives for sure. Yeah. Now I like the point that you said, you know, even like with experts, right? you have to analyze or even highlight what is missing. And that's something that we constantly do in, in my company, where, you know, when we do, when I do research on any kind of topic, I constantly find like, okay, if this is an expert writing this article, like your expertise can be like 10 years old and things change, change things evolve constantly. Like, because people evolve, people's mindset evolve, even though some people choose to be stagnant, but, when we are making the decisions, we have to evolve as well. If research 10 years ago, if t- research is all 10 years ago, you know, like do your research. No one is stopping you from doing your own research, collect that data, but I, again, like do research that eliminates con- confirmation bias or unconscious bias. So include all those people, right? Even like when I create my survey, like Amelie over here helps me. Like, what am I missing out? What am I, you know, I, wh- what do I need to rethink? So having people who are different from you. So that's why it's like, I like to include people who are not in the same line or industry as me, right? Because being a political scientist on a or and education, you see things from a different perspective. And from my perspective, it's an engineering background and culture scientist background. So I see things from a very different perspective. So it's important to challenge your own lenses, walls, doing those research or including other people like always include people who do not look like you sound like you agree with you you want to include people who do not agree with you because when you include people who constantly agree with you they are not challenging the gaps going back to gaps as well but i want to go back to what our view is saying i forget expert has a different context in the education sector my bad it's fine hats and boots (laughs) <laughs> but but you know thank you for highlighting that and decision making is it's not just a very straightforward journey right decision making like you said we need to in- include people who are not at the table we need to change the narratives right what does the narrative of other people who are not included look like what does the narrative of people who are left consciously left behind it looks like right so when we make decisions i want to go to this next part when we make decisions that only caters to exclusive groups right when we do have a blind spot or when we put our blinders on and say no i just want to promote this person this is what 
promotion looks like. This is what productivity looks like. This is what performance looks like. We are missing it at, from understanding how other people function. Let it be at the workplace, even in school systems, right? The way that we grade, the way that we test our students, the, who will make the bloody decision of a singular test? Really? Like, did someone forget intelligence? Did someone forget what intelligence looks like? Did someone forget how I assimilate topics and and context differs from you, Annalie, or differs from hats and boots, you know, or whomever is listening out there right now? Like, when a child is born, right, it takes, what, some, some children, some toddlers take three years three years to develop to speak, while some, some babies speak within like six months or nine months. Some toddlers take like four years to learn how to walk. Some toddlers take a year how to learn how to walk. These are all evident in life form itself, right? The way different people assimilate, the way different people learn how to speak. Even children, right? you can't create a singular way of tests, you can't create a singular way of living and assume that this is how we're going to make decisions. So I want to recap our conversation as to in order to make ethical decision making, there are some things that we consciously need to do, right? Need to challenge ourselves, which is challenge our unconscious bias, our conscious biases, our confirmation biases. Our social exchange biases, and I know the list is so bloody long, but these are all essential. Our negative biases, our egocentrism, even when you get rid of your egocentrism, when you reach ethnocentrism, challenge those centrisms as well and challenge how the paradigm of diversity looks like. And to Annalise's point, you know, you have to even challenge, okay, where are the gaps? Where are the gaps in expert research or what are the experts saying? You constantly need to challenge everything and include people who are not that even when you have the power to represent them like bring in their concerns get rid of the bloody table create a new environment and welcome people to bring in their voices anything else that you want to add on yeah i think it's just really just doing a total overview of right just decision making so yeah. i think you're talking about right a portion of decision making um, which is really, really important. But you also want to be able to talk about like, what is the issue, right? Because like, right, your those bias, like how you interpret those bias is going to vary per each issue, right? So like your mm -hmm. issue towards housing, or your issue towards education, or like food access, or like whatever have you, right? Like those bias are going to manifest themselves in different ways with each right. issue. So it's important to be able to look at like, okay, so like, yes, these are here. But we also have to really get down to like the core of like all decision making, right? Like, so whether it's like, if you're looking at a bunch of different houses, it's not like, okay, why did like, why do I not like these different types of apartments? Or why don't I like mm -hmm. these type of houses? Why don't I like these type of neighborhoods? Like you have to go back to the issue, right? The issue is like, mm -hmm. I'm looking at like finding a place. So find out really what you're looking at and then just being like, okay, so whatever the issue is, how could this affect like, many people how could like you know i guess me renting that house or like me having access to like these different mm -hmm. neighborhoods what how does that like impact people and then we want to start getting like the facts we want to just get the things that are just really not debatable right like to me it's like mm -hmm. facts aren't debatable like it just is what mm -hmm. it is like right, i personally right, right. you know i'm not in like this 
alternative facts. Like, I don't believe any of that. <laughs> so <laughs> it just is what it is, right? But then we also want to start thinking about, like, what are the decisions that we're going to make, right? So it's not just talking about, like, what impacts my decision making. It's about, like, what literal decisions do I even have to talk about? So mm -hmm. do I want to choose, make the decision that's going to do the most good? Do I want to take that utilitarian approach? Um, mm -hmm. Do I want to respect like the rights and like dignities of everyone who is like making decisions or who will be impacted? Do mm -hmm. I just want to treat people? Do I just want to take like an egalitarian approach? Right? Do I just want to treat people equally and let that mm -hmm. be just it? Okay. So it's like, what are then the impacts of just treating people equally? Right? Because I think that's right. when people start talking more about equity. Do I want right. to just think what is like the common good? Do I just want to think about what's good for the community at large in general? Um, and then maybe even thinking about more like inwardly is making this decision getting me closer to where I want to be. Um, so I think it's then we have to move forward and make a decision, right? Like, so we have to decide, like, maybe I want to instead of test doing beta test, like for technology, do I want to do it in communities where they don't have necessarily the same access mm -hmm. to technologies. Do I want to use technology to like bring them up to speed? Um, and then it's just, do I want to, you know, then afterwards we're going to just decide like, did this policy or practice, did this work the best? Right. So I think it's about bringing all of these different um, Process, decisions yeah. and like conversations together and just bringing them forward here. And then really just, okay, then where do I go from here? What decisions do we need to be made mm -hmm. next, next? So it's just a cycle that keeps going. And there's so many components to like this one cycle. And right. decision-making isn't easy. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely it's not. Tough. And it's, <laughs> I think it's made a lot better though, when you start really right. do, when you do talk about like the bias and when you have other seats right. at the table. Um, right. So I think it's, really important because I think the best decisions are made when different voices and different perspectives are heard. And right. I think, yeah, you definitely would agree with that. Yeah, it's 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 also important. Like I've been in a lot of hiring circles, right? Um I've I've been in hiring decision making where we have a lot of different voices and yet the dominant voice says what I say goes. Also when you have different voices and when you have a dominant voice saying what I say goes, challenge that as well. Because you want to make the right decision that impacts, right? Because when you conform to what I say goes kind of a voice, then people will will adopt that, right? Moving forward, I've seen so many people like they give in and say, oh, I'm afraid to speak up. You don't need to intimidate someone when there's an intimidating voice, even at the table. Challenge that because when you don't challenge those dominant voices right ethical decision making becomes tougher uh, i've seen it in hiring decision making hiring decisions where i've been part of where where like the social action bias comes in or the favoritism comes in because they want this person who looks like them who sounds like them or also who will do exactly what they tell them to do to move forward Right, we need to also embrace individualism when making, not making, like inviting people into putting their voices into decision making. So I agree with you. Decision making is a holistic approach. It's just not a singular approach. It's like making, even when you feel like, okay, this is the decision that we made, 
And if you feel like it's it's a wrong decision, doesn't matter. There's always time to rethink and to reapproach it in a different way. I think this is where a lot of the times people feel it's like, oh, I made a wrong decision. Let's just go on with it. But when you have the mindset to say, I've done a mistake. Let's relook at this. That's when real change starts to happen as well. So that's another facet to decision making as well. Like, don't say, oh, this is a wrong decision. Let's just go on with it. Like, challenge those things as well. Like, you know, like, like to your point, you said that, you know, like equality, bringing equality, but at the same time, equality does not create equity to, to a lot of people. Then we need to challenge, okay, how can we pivot this to bring equity? And then again, invite different voices consist- consistently and continuously. Today's Monday, I can't pronounce my words for some reason. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is just being, um, it's not necessarily always being, you know, critical in a negative sense. Right. I think that there's a way that you can really just look at a situation mm-hmm. and see, you know, okay, maybe this didn't, you know, it's looking at like, okay, maybe I didn't think of these consequences um, when I was making this decision. So I think it's about just be having truthful analysis of like the right. situation at the end. So it's not just like, oh, everything was great. Everything was PG keen at the end. No, it's like, okay, so did I make a mistake with that decision? What if mm-hmm. I could go over and do it again? Um, did I leave anyone out? Okay, mm-hmm. so when I make the decision, the next decision, how do I not leave people out? Um, right. How do I remedy like the things that just didn't work out this time? So I think it's like, I think this is also another thing that, you know, it's just okay to be a bit critical, but remember, like, don't do it to a point where it's not mm-hmm. beneficial anymore. Right. So um, there's just a lot of things that go into making a decision. So there needs to be a lot of things to consider when you analyze the decision that mm-hmm. you've made. So I think it's just really important to think about. And, um, you know, it's you have to really follow this process all the way through. You can do all the like make sure it's balanced throughout. You can do all the legwork, like really considering like the decisions, all the decisions that you can make. OK, but remember to put that much energy into analyzing why the situation worked out or it didn't work out or grows and glows like for all decisions like there's always something to think about there's always right you know discussion pieces and like don't be afraid to have those as well that's so true so this is a session that brings uh an anti a session of ethical decision making checker privilege uh, decision making you know we all do it but being ethical decision making is something that we all struggle with but you know it's something that we have to progressively move forward to make those decisions that impacts people in a larger way um you know no, check advisors include yeah include people represent people who are not that thank you and i think i want to also just really kind of stress i know we talked about you know create your own spaces and doing things like that and i want to like stress to people too i don't want you to only think that that's the only way to make impacts um mm-hmm. i think that some people do feel powerless in the structure and i don't want to minimize those feelings um i really do just want to say like there are little micro things that you can do to move us forward too it's not just these huge macro actions that determine what you know what is going to happen and as you know you think about shifts in culture it's not you know it, we didn't take direction right from like what governments were doing right we didn't take direction from 
you know, what, I don't know, like corporations were doing, change happens through like the minds and discussions that all mm -hmm. of us have. Um, you know, those sh attitude shifts, like these institutions aren't going to be the first thing to shift. It's just not right. going to happen. It never really has happened. It happens through the little things that you do in the day to day. So I don't want people to think that like, okay, just because I'm not a leader, or maybe I don't have the resources to create my own space. Okay, what can we do in the spaces that we have? So I don't want people to feel like, okay, because I can't create a space, like I can't do anything. No, there's so many different ways that we can change, you know, our culture, right. right? We can change it through the arts, we can change it through, you know, and I feel like a lot of times technology is democratizing, right? So like, it's looking at all these different mm -hmm. tools that we can use and just know that you too can make a change, you can make a difference. Right. There's so many people who go viral and change where institutions go. So I don't right. want only people to think that change only happens through these major institutions. There's usually right. attitude shifts that right. move us forward. Well, like I said, you know there's just because you're a follower does not define that you're not a leader there's a leader in every follower there's a follower in every leader mm -hmm. um to your point what's your digital footprint because we have access to twitter we have access to youtube you can create your own voice right that's one of the reasons why i created my own podcast because i got so tired of being excluded excluded right and and i got so tired and then i was like you know what i'm going to create my own podcast i'm going to talk about the things that are real right these are the conversations that we need to be having i created my own space i i do not know if million i don't have millions listening to me yet but but these are the conversations that need to happen when you speak more and more you're telling your truth you're telling your story your voice represents someone else who's not being included. So these are all platforms. These are all ways that you can get your voice heard, right? And that means the more you speak, you are in fact leading someone else who feels the same way as you do, right? I'm not saying that misery loves company. It's actually reality loves company. When you talk about real things, it's reality. Reality loves company. Reality invites people to come have real conversations with you so that's all the time we have it's exactly 1 p.m thank you for joining us during lunchtime in the east coast 11 a.m brunch time in the midwest <laughs> and 10 a.m in the west coast and it's like it's so it's like yep, one it's way one, earlier <laughs> 1 a.m morning in, time <laughs> 1 a.m in apac and 7 p.m. in Europe. So thank you again for coming on board, listening to us. Thank you for all our viewers and listeners um, coming on board and giving us support. So till next week, this is Hardship, the now of leadership. And as we need to rethink culture, rethink how we lead now. If now does not happen, the future will never become possible. This has been Mila Dufour and Annalisa Ponsky. Toodles. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>